Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to the words of my mouth. Arrogant foes are attacking me. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. People without regard for God. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Let evil recoil on those who slander me, and your faithfulness destroy them. I will sacrifice a freewill offering to you. I will praise your name, Lord, for it is good. You have delivered me from all my troubles, and my eyes have looked in triumph on my foes. Psalm 55. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, Oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and storm. Lord, confuse the wicked, confound their words, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about on its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. As for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and He hears my voice. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. God, who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, He will hear them and humble them, because they have no fear of God. My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His talk is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. But you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days. But as for me... I trust in you. Pray with me. Father, I pray that just like David, when our hearts are troubled, when we are distressed, when it feels like our enemies are against us, and sometimes when it's, it feels like people that we love and who love us are against us, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be like David, that we would turn to you, that we would trust in you, that we would call out to you, Lord, that you are our stronghold, that you are our deliverer, and that we can always trust you because you do not change. 
Thank you for this church. Thank you for the words that you're going to give Joel to speak to our hearts this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks, Abby. Appreciate you reading those passages to us this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 24. Uh, That's where we're going to be spending a lot of our time. We're on a series looking at the life of David, if you're new with us, and we're just talking about afflictions that come into our lives, these hard and difficult things that we walk through throughout our lives. And we're looking at the life of David to learn how did he handle affliction and learn to come out on the other side and remain remain obedient to God. And so we really want that as our kind of key note is that we're going to stay faithful to God in the things that we do, even in the midst of affliction. And so last week we began this, this is kind of a two-part message, we began talking about the affliction that comes from enemies. And the things that Abby was just reading about the enemies that, that exist in our lives. And so uh, David was no uh, stranger to having enemies that came against him, specifically for what we're talking about, the enemy of King Saul. And we're going to dive back into his story in just a few minutes. But some of you know all too well what it feels like to have an enemy come against you. And unfortunately, because enemies can come from all over and in different places in our lives, some of you know the sting and the heartache and the pain of having someone who has been a friend in the church become an enemy. Some of you may be here today because you went through something hard in a church situation that enemies kind of formed against you and you kind of had to get out of that. And so that may be your experience. If that's the case, I'm sorry, and I hate that, that that was the experience that you've had. Uh, But we want to look together at how do we handle some of these things? Because what we just saw in Psalm chapter 55 is David saying, man, if it was something that was external, an enemy, a threat, a force from the, the Philistines or the Malachites or something like that, and then I could handle that. Just let me flee and be like a dove and escape to a place of peace, right? But David goes, no, it was you, It was a friend, a companion, someone that I used to go to the house of God with, someone that we went into the the places of worship. You've turned against me. You've become an enemy to me. And I think David probably was writing about Saul in that instance. I can't confirm that or verify that, but I think David probably had in his mind some things about his relationship with Saul. And going, you're the king. You're the one that I've deferred to. I've placed myself under your rule and your reign as the king anointed by God. And yet you have come against me. We don't know where enemies are going to come from in our lives. But when a friend turns an enemy, it's incredibly difficult. And here's what I would want us to know. That the heart of God for us, especially in the church, is for relational reconciliation. That scripture is full of things that point us, especially in the New Testament, to how do we relate with one another and reconcile hardships and difficulties and pains that we go through so that we can walk in a bond of unity because of the grace that's been shown to us by God. So that we can overcome some things that are hard in our lives when we have disagreement with one another, where there's discouragement about things that are going on. When you say something bad about me that I don't like. When you disagree with something that I said, when you don't like the way I led my life group, when there's an issue in how leadership takes place, how do we reconcile these things? And scripture is going to point us over and over and over to the reality and the idea that as Christians in the bond of brotherhood and sisterhood, that we need to find ways to reconcile those relationships and to come to a place where we say, I want to put myself under the authority of God and try to find a way to make this work. Um, 
And so when we see that, I would want you to know that the message today is not necessarily on how do we reconcile relationally with one another. If there's an issue that you're walking through, I would simply say this this morning. If there's someone in the church that has hurt you, there's something that's an issue in your life right now, as elders, one of our primary goals and responsibilities is to help maintain and preserve unity in the church. So if you're struggling with something, Come and talk to me. Let us help you walk through what does Scripture say? How do we find ways in to a place of reconciliation that you can discuss some things and walk through some things? If you just want something great to read, uh, Matthew chapter 18 is full of great information and advice from Jesus about how we handle relational reconciliation, right? And so what we see in Scripture today, though, as we're thinking about this, you might be sitting there going, well, I don't have that struggle. I'm a really likable person. People don't get mad at me, Pastor Joel, like they get mad at you. And so I don't have any enemies. I got no problems in this regard, right? Like you were just sitting there warm and cozy this morning with no enemies in your life. Congratulations. I'm excited for you. Uh, But I want to bring us down to a place of reality that would tell you this morning that you do have an enemy. It's a common enemy that every single one of us in this room shares. And that's Satan. You and I have an enemy that Jesus says in John 10 is like a roaring lion. He's like a thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. And Satan wants nothing more than to rip your life apart. And he is a ferocious enemy. He's going to come at you with everything that he has. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your relationship with your kids. He wants to destroy your Christian brotherhood with people in your life group. He wants you not to want to get up in the morning and come to church and be around the people of God and be encouraged by the people of God. He doesn't want you to hear truth. He wants to keep you away from anything that has to do with biblical Christianity and faith and relationship. And he's working overtime to destroy us. That's his goal. He tells us that's his goal. I'm like a roaring lion looking who I can devour. Direct quote from Satan, book of Job, right? Where have you been, Satan? Been roaming on the earth. Just looking for people that I can devour and destroy. Like that's his heart. That's what he desires to do for us and in us, to us. So when we think about these things, I want you to know What we see as we progress in 1 Samuel is that God is at work in David's life and Satan does everything he can to destroy David because God is at work in David's life. And so if you're taking notes, I would want you to get this this morning. The first thing I want you to see is that where God is at work, Satan will attack. You can just count on it. Your enemy wants to destroy you. And the same thing that we see with David and Saul plays out in our relationship when it comes to our following God and the things that Satan would desire to do in our lives because of our following God. In fact, if you look at your life and you see areas of spiritual warfare that are going on where Satan is attacking you, you can probably take note and go, that's probably an area in my life where God is at work and I need to change my perspective about what's happening. Why is Satan attacking me there? It's not just because I have a vulnerability and I'm weak there. It might be that Satan's attacking me in that place in my life because God's up to something powerful in my life in that place. Right? So think about it. When you think about some of these things, when you're leading your family to follow Jesus, Satan's going to attack you. When you're living in your neighborhood to make Jesus known that you're sharing your faith by living out your faith where you live and where you work and you play in this community, Satan's going to come after you in those things. When it comes to your job environment, if you're bringing Jesus into your work environment 
and you're trying to share the good news of Christ with people where you work, Satan's going to come after you at work. When you think about where you are in your life as a follower of Jesus, just pursuing Jesus in a personal way, trying to develop spiritual disciplines, getting into God's word, being a person of prayer, meditating on scripture, journaling, sharing your faith, all the different disciplines that may exist. When you see your disciplines growing and God starting to move in your life, guess what? Satan's going to attack you in those places. He's going to do everything possible to make it difficult for you to spend time in prayer. He's going to pull you away from time in God's word. He's going to put distractions in your life. He's going to do all kinds of things in order to tear you away from a relationship with Jesus. That's just how it works. And so you've got this common enemy. And if the things that God is doing in your life weren't damaging to Satan's kingdom, he would just leave you alone. Like you can take joy in the fact, and we've been talking through this series about affliction. How do I change my perspective about the afflictions that I go through? You can learn to take joy in your life where Satan attacks you when you can see and look at it and say, he's coming at me there because God is doing something there. That's a powerful way to look at things. That'll change your perspective on the affliction that you're going through. And so for us, what we want to see is what Jesus says in response, because just like King Saul, when Satan gets scared of the way God is using your life, he's going to come after you. Remember what we said last week? The two things that caused Saul to pursue David and want to kill him were what? Two things, jealousy and fear. And when Satan sees you drawing close to Jesus, he gets afraid. And he's jealous of the fact that you've walked out of his kingdom and you've joined the kingdom of light. And he goes, I want to destroy that. So Satan's jealousy and his fear will cause him to come after you powerfully. And so we need to be ready then to understand what these things are. But when we see that, we remember the words of Jesus, that Jesus doesn't just talk about Satan and say in John 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. He goes beyond that and he goes, but here's the good news. I've come so that you can have life and have it abundantly to the fullest, right? Like David, who's been anointed to be the next king, but he's not king yet. The crown hasn't been realized yet. He's been anointed king, but it hasn't been fully realized. Jesus has come as king In his kingdom that we're living in on this earth, we're living as citizens of this kingdom, but we're waiting for the fullness of the kingdom. But he says, I want you to know that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come to give you life, abundant life here on earth and eternal abundant life with me in heaven one day. It's an already but not yet fully realized kingdom. And so we're living in that tension. And here's what we see when we have this common enemy in Satan, we have a God who has defeated our enemy. So here's how we can learn to shape our perspective and say, like David did, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, um, Psalm chapter 119, 71, where David says, it was good for me to be afflicted because I learned to listen to your decrees. And so our perspective starts to shift and we start to say, it was good for me to be afflicted. So let's look at a few things. I'm going to put a couple of things on screen for you for us to see. That when Satan comes against us, when the attacks come against us, the perspective change that we can get is this. It was good for me to be afflicted. Why? Because it revealed where God was at work in my life. It was good for me to be afflicted. Why? Because it showed me where there was growth that I didn't recognize. It was good for me to be afflicted. Why? 
I was able to see how God was preparing me for something in my future. Right? And that's where we come in with the story of David and the afflictions that he had to overcome in staying faithful to God no matter what. David is on the run from King Saul, and he ends up in caves, living in caves, no peace anywhere in his life, being hunted and pursued by the king of Israel who wants to destroy him. And David, last week we talked about this, that David's affliction ended up bringing some really good things into his life. In David's affliction and running from the enemies, he brought friends and he brought family and he brought warriors around David. And David, in the middle of those hardships in caves, running from Saul, starts having the opportunity to learn how to shepherd people, those who were in distress and who were in debt and who were discontented. And David gets to learn how to shepherd them and care for them and lead them. And he gets an army around him and he gets to learn to be the general of this army and God's working in the middle of the affliction for a future thing that he's preparing David for, to be king. Right? And so in all of that, we see how David is following after the heart of God. He's going to be the next king of Israel. But Saul spends untold amounts of time and resources to hunt David down and kill him. So today, as we look at the story unfold, we're going to see something that's really interesting take place. And this is why we split this message into two parts. Last week, we said, what happens when an enemy pursues you? Today, we're going to ask the question, what happens when the tables flip and the enemy that's come after you is now right in front of you and you could do something about it to get revenge? What's your response going to be? So here's where we pick up the story. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 24, and we're going to read through this chapter together. It says, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him for he is the Lord's anointed. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and he went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And he said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on the Lord, uh, on my Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See, there's nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you're hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evil doers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? 
May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. And when David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You're more righteous than I, he said. You've treated me well, but I've treated you badly. You've just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. And here Saul asks the question that we should all be focused in on. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you surely will be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went to the stronghold. And so in the process of hunting David, King Saul hears the call of nature, right? It's like, hey, even the king's got to go to the bathroom, right? And so he leaves his men and he's like, I don't really need you guys. I'm just going to go into this cave. And he goes in to relieve himself. And if you've ever been in a cave, and East Tennessee has awesome caves, if you haven't had a chance to explore some caves around here, please go take advantage of that. They're fantastic. But when you go into a cave, you don't have to go very far down or deep before it gets dark. And so Saul's in this cave relieving himself. And David and his men are in the cave, maybe in another little crevice. And they've heard and seen Saul come in. Maybe their eyes have adjusted to the dark a little bit more, and so they see Saul, and they're just like, David, this is it. This is the moment you've been waiting for. God has brought your enemy into your hands. You can kill him, David. Let's just do this right now so we can be done with this whole running and hiding in caves things and go home. But David won't lift his hand against the king. What does he do? He creeps up, and I'm imagining in my head that when Saul came into this cave, he took his robe off and kind of left it in one place and then went on farther to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and so David probably sneaks up to where his cape is, his robe is, and he just cuts off a corner of it. And then he goes and he retreats back into the dark. And he waits for Saul to leave that cave. And when Saul exits and gets far enough away, what does David do? He calls out after him. Oh, king, I want you to know that God had you right in my hands and I refuse to lift my hand against you. You are the anointed of the Lord and it's not for me to take your life. In fact, verse 5 tells us that David was conscious stricken for even having cut off the corner of his robe. He said, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him. He is the anointed of the Lord. Now, here's where I want to make a distinction really quickly. Not all of your enemies are the anointed of the Lord, right? When you think about some things and David goes, hey, I'm not going to raise my hand against the king. God has put him in place. David sees the hand of God at play, not to deliver Saul into his hands to kill him, but to show his enemy kindness. He goes, I'm not going to raise my hand against you. You're the anointed of the Lord. And if the Lord wants to deal with you, then let him do that but I'm not going to lift my hand against you. The hand of God is on you. And the hand of God is on me. So far be it from me to take your life. Far be it from me to get revenge against you. Right? And when we see Saul, 
and his response in all these things. And he asks this hard question that we, we should focus in on. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? But the truth and the reality is you and I are probably more like David's men in the cave than we are like David in a lot of ways. That we're the ones going, revenge, let's get it. He's right there. Let's do something about it. Right? And our culture teaches us to think this way. Anybody like to watch movies or TV shows? Here's how almost every action movie you'll ever watch plays out. Something tragically bad happens to someone, and then they're going to do whatever it takes to get revenge on the people who did the bad to them, right? A family member gets killed, the rest of the movie is going to be more collateral damage than you could possibly imagine in your lifetime, and it's all going to happen with no police opposition or presence, and the person is just going to go after and get revenge and kill their guy, right? And we're trained to think that way. That's the appropriate response. Somebody hurts you. Somebody speaks bad about you. Somebody does something to you at work. Somebody does something against you at school. What do you do? You find your way to get back at them. You take revenge, no matter what it takes. And yet David's example to us is to go, no, 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 that's not how this plays out. God brings my enemy right in front of me, and I find a way to have peace. I find a way to say, it's not my place to avenge. In fact, David even says, may the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. Right? And so David's thought process is when the king left the cave, he wants to de-escalate the whole situation. He calls out after Saul. He shows him the robe and then he says, I want the Lord to judge between us. And in this moment, Saul knows he's wrong he relents. Saul returns with his troops to Jerusalem, and you think, okay, great, story's over, we're done. But that's not how it plays out. Just a little while later, some people come and they say, we know where David's hiding again, we found him. And again, Saul's going to take 3,000 men, and if you read in chapter 26, I'm going to paraphrase the story for you because we don't have time to read it all again this morning, but 1 Samuel chapter 26, Paul, Saul once again goes on the hunt for David. He takes 3,000 of his soldiers and he goes looking for him. And this time, they get to where David is hiding. The people have said, this is where David is. He's in this region. And Saul and his men get to a place where they camp for the night. Saul lays down to sleep. And the entire army of Israel goes to sleep around him. He's in the middle of the camp, surrounded by the people. David takes a guy named Abishai on a reconnaissance mission. and goes, let's just check out what's going on over here. And they see that everybody's asleep in the camp. And David goes, you want to go with me? Let's go down there. Crazy, right? Who just marches into the middle of a camp of soldiers when you're the one they're wanting to hunt and kill? But David does. David and Abishai, hunt. they go right into the middle of the camp. And we kind of find out later, God has put everybody in a deep sleep. And he brings David to this moment again. And they get to where King Saul is asleep in the middle of the camp, surrounded by his warriors. And Abishai goes, hey, that's his spear. I know you won't raise your hand against him, but I don't mind. How about I take the spear and just shove it through his heart and pin him to the ground? He even says, David, I won't even do it twice. Just one time, that's all I need. I can make this done like that. And David goes, no. No, I'm, I'm not going to raise my hand against the anointed servant of the Lord. Here's what I want you to do. Grab the spear, grab his water jug. We're out of here. And David and Abishai just leave. 
And when they get off in the distance, David yells down to the camp and wakes everybody up. And again, he has this moment where he just goes, hey, king, why are you chasing me? I want you to see what I had the opportunity to do. In fact, he yells at the king's bodyguard. And he says, you had a responsibility to protect the king. His death would be on your hands. But I showed mercy. Here's his spear. Here's his water jug. And they start looking around. It's like, oh no, it's missing, right? It's gone. David was right there. And Saul again says, you could have killed me. And you spared my life. This is how David learns to treat his enemies. And so as we start to wrap this up this morning, I want us to see two things from these two stories that we can find how David existed. And then I want us to learn two things about how we're supposed to live when afflicted by enemies of our own. And so here's the first two things. What do we see when we come into situations like this? How does David teach us? David demonstrates great humility. David is incredibly humble. He's been anointed the king of Israel. He knows the, uh, the crown and the throne is going to be his one day. But instead of acting like he's already king, he says, that's the Lord's anointed. He's still king. David shows deference to Saul. He says, I'm going to prostrate myself before you. I'm going to bow the head to you. I'll bow the knee to you because you're king. He shows great humility. In fact, when he talks to Saul in both passages, he asks the question, who am I? Who are you chasing? A dog? A flea? Like I'm nobody. Why are you chasing after me? And there's this humble approach that David takes to having an enemy that's pursuing him. But then the second thing that we see in David's life is that he demonstrates great integrity. He did the right thing even when he could have killed Saul and gotten away with it. David shows integrity. I'm going to do the right thing, no matter if I have the opportunity to end my enemy or not. That wouldn't be right for me. It's not what God's called me to. In fact, he tells his men, I believe it's in chapter 26, he says, man, listen, it's in God's hands to deal with Saul. Either he dies in his age or he dies in battle, or God takes his life. But I'm not going to raise my hand against him. And so he shows great in humility, shows great integrity. And here's what I would just want us to know this morning. Never let your integrity be destroyed to get retribution. Your integrity is something that you have to guard wholeheartedly. Because other people will not guard your integrity closely. Other people don't care about your integrity especially if you have non-Christian, non-believing friends. They don't care if you do the right thing or the wrong thing. What do David's men do in the cave? Hey, David, kill him. He's right there. Like, this is the end. We can finish it up right now and be home by dinner with our families. Let's like kill him. They don't have David, David's integrity in mind. They have their comfort in mind. They have a kingdom in mind. Let's go take the king. Let's go take the kingdom. Let's go get the throne, David. David's integrity meant a lot to him. And so he pursues and guards his own integrity. So ask yourself, are the voices that are giving you counsel speaking God's truth? Are your friends giving you godly counsel? Do you have friends who have the same Christian convictions that you hold? Because your personal integrity is something other people will not hold cautiously. You have to guard it. Now let's look at two things that God teaches us uh, in, in his word about dealing with enemies as Christians. And 
I want you to know as we hit these two things quickly that we're going to deal with this on a very elementary, rudimentary level, right? We could spend sermon messages and maybe a series just dealing with these two things. So this is going to be a very complex but basic look at what we're talking about. So here's the things that I want you to see. On a very basic but complex level, here's how we're taught to do toward our enemies as Christians. Number one, leave vengeance to God. And number two, love and bless your enemies. That's simple, right? I just said that in like four seconds. But we could unpack that for the rest of our lives. Leave vengeance to God. Love and bless your enemies. And so what I want to do this morning to close our time up is I want us just to look at some passages of Scripture together. And I'm just going to read these without offering commentary on them. I'm not going to preach from these passages. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit of God as we read these, to stir in your heart. And I'm going to ask you this week to go back and look at these things on your own and ask the questions. If I have someone that's an enemy in my life, how do I deal with it? If I have a situation that I'm struggling in, how do I deal with it? And so I just want the word of God to speak for itself this morning before we close. So here's Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. This is Jesus speaking. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So here's the perspective that we can learn this morning. Leave vengeance to God, love and bless your enemies. And one of the things that I think that we would see, especially in what Paul writes in Ephesians, is to go, every conflict you have with people is driven by something spiritual behind the scenes that you can't see with your physical eyes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and rulers and principalities and the dark forces you have an enemy that wants to destroy you. 
The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But you have a God who wants to give life. And so my challenge to us this morning would be in our pursuit of following after Jesus, choose life. Choose life for yourself that's full of integrity and full of humility. Choose life for your enemies to love them and bless them and do whatever it takes to live out a hope in restoring relationship or even winning them to Christ if they don't know him because of the way that you respond to their threats and their pain with your own peace that God gives you. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 10.45 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.